Today is Sunday, April 8th, 2018. I'm your host, Tracy Harris, and with me today is co-host, that lord of laid back, the king of calm, the ever chill, John Iacoletti. <laughs> Hello. Hey, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. My son got married yesterday. Um, so congratulations, Paul and Lisa. They're, I'm sure they're not watching the show, <laughs> but maybe they will someday. Yeah, I, hopefully they're having a little bit more fun on their honeymoon. Not that this is not about the funnest thing a person could be doing right. on a Sunday. Uh, the Atheist Experience is a production of the Atheist Community of Austin, a Texas nonprofit educational organization dedicated to promoting separation of church and state and positive atheist culture. We do have dinner after the show that's open to the public at the Star of India. That happens at about 6.30 p.m., give or take, depending on how far over we might take calls. I uh, do want to make a special announcement. Uh, we did go to the American Atheist Convention in Oklahoma City, and we need to thank all of the people who sponsored that trip, everybody who donated to our Go AXP fund to get us out there. Uh, just a huge, big thank you. Really appreciate your support and your help to make that happen. Just want to do a little shout-out list. We connected with a lot of great people while we were there and reconnected with a lot of people, many of whom I'd met at the Bat Cruise and some of whom I'd met at other conferences. We were lucky enough to have Seth Andrews there and to have Daryl Ray there from Recovery from Religion. Barry Lynn was there from Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Foundation Beyond Belief was representing. I got to meet Noel, who was awesome. Uh, got to meet Awesome Tracy from Pitchstone Publishing. And a huge thank you to Pitchstone Publishing, who decided uh, to donate one of every book at their table to the Free Thought Library. Wow. So they are shipping that. We should be receiving it any day this coming week. And they promised that they would be sending more <laughs> when they got back because they said, hey, all of our best sellers are sold out. So when we get back to the office, we'll pack you up some of those and ship you them as well. Oh, so Pitchstone cool. Publishing, thank you. I also got to meet in person Reed Nice Wonder, whose videos I've he's allowed me to share on the show. He does street epistemology, which reminds me that they gave me this. <laughs> so I said, okay, I will definitely be showing the street <laughs> epistemology shirt. People know that we've had Anthony Magnavasco on, a very good friend of the show. Um, Reed comes from California, so I hadn't had a chance to ever meet him in person, whereas Anthony is just a few hours south of us in San Antonio, so he's very, very uh, more reachable. Uh, Planned Parenthood was also there representing and tabling. They were right next to our booth, so we were quite honored to have them next door. We had a pride booth that was next to that, which was very awesome, very colorful, a lot of rainbow gear. And Black Nonbelievers was there with Bria and Mandisa, who were always always awesome to see live and in person, a lot of energy at that table. And just want to make a quick announcement that we are trying to get Mandisa on for the May 5th episode of Godless Bitches, which it looks like that's probably going to happen. So I'm going to say that unless, you know, something very strange occurs, we do plan to have Mandisa on the show for Cinco de Mayo, which should be a fun time. We also got to see the scathing atheists there who were uh, co-hosting or guests on the Talk Heathens podcast that happened right before the Atheist Experience podcast, which occurred at the conference. And that was, you know, Noah, Heath, Eli, Lucinda, always good to see you all. 
Aaron and Lalandra, uh, Aaron Ra, everybody, they were there as well. It was great to see them. And I just want to thank everybody who came out to the conference that was able to come out and support that event because it's the community support that makes these things happen. So just want to make sure everybody's aware that just being there uh, earns you a big thank you. And we appreciate any kind of support on any activities like that. I also wanted to show another T-shirt that we did have some some uh, swag at the at our table, and one of them is the GB 2.0, which I think most people are aware has relaunched. So, uh, Godless Bitches, I think we have another shirt that has on the bottom something like "I'm a Godless Bitch," <laughs> so <laughs> you can get those as well. And also saw David Tamayo, who represents a uh, you know big part of the Hispanic atheist community. So it was awesome to see David and just. Everybody. It was just a really great time. And if I've forgotten anyone, I apologize. Uh, just so many people in such a great time. I want to thank the stalwart crew who traveled out there, Mark and Fern and, and Janet Reyes, who drove all night from Florida to I get there. I got to meet and, Janet in person, and that uh, was a real thrill, yeah. Who a lot of you know is, is one of our moderators. That She was there tabling um, and just all the people who helped out. I, I didn't get to go, unfortunately, but I, I heard a lot about it, and it sounded like a lot of fun. Yeah, it, it was a. I, I was one of the few conferences where I, I saw almost no speakers. I literally <laughs> just spent most of my time interacting and reconnecting with people, so that was, it was just so much, so fantastic, and it's such a great opportunity, and again, I can't thank people enough for, for getting us out there. It was, it was really great, and I'm glad that we could represent... Uh, you know, through ACA outreach there at the American Atheist Convention. Really, really worthwhile. Uh, do you have any announcements or anything like that that we need to talk I about? I don't think so. We can go ahead and start the calls. Okay, well, we started with our call screen testing with Dante, who is on the line. Hi, Dante, we're back on with you. Okay, so do you remember me from last time? Uh, your voice sounds familiar, but feel free to just jump right in. Okay, well, I was the guy that called and said that I was hearing the woman's voice. Okay. And she spoke to me okay. through the TV and the radio. Okay, yes, I, I remember that. that. Bill. yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I found out the lady's name. Her name is Wisdom, and she's... In the Bible, and not only in the Bible, the Emerald Tablet, they, they refer to her as a her for a reason, because it's a very feminine, you know, voice. But, um, you know, the fact that you're surrounded by a bunch of atheists, I kind of figured uh, your brain is already, or your subconscious is already, like, primed, and your, your decision is already made. So do you mind if I, you know, set a scheme, schema up? I'm not sure what you're asking, but why don't you go ahead and we'll let you know if there's any objection. Okay. Well, basically, a scheme is like um, I'm putting, like, something, I'm subconsciously influencing, influencing a certain behavioral pattern in order to get a certain response. Give All it right. a shot. Let's, let's see how it rolls. All right. So uh, this is from the Bible. I'm not, I'm not a Christian. I'm just using this because I think this will be the perfect schema. Good sense make one slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook an offense. Okay. So, um, 
also in the Emerald Tablets, it says that uh, a fool regards, you know, to wisdom to a fool is regarded as ignorance. And basically, um, what I'm trying to say is, all right, first example, in Genesis, it talks about, and the Lord create, the Lord God formed man of dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Why I bring up that is because there's science to that. If you look at the elements that are in Dante, can I just interrupt you for one minute? I'm just curious, where are we going with this? Oh, well, I'm just trying to show you that there's something, there's a lot more to this than meets the eye. A lot more to like, what? Like the Bible, there's a lot of... But you just said you're not a Christian. Oh, I'm not a Christian. Okay, so what is the, why is the Bible relevant to you or to us? Or Oh, the Bible is relevant because it's, I mean, it's not just the Bible, but I also uh, study the Kabbalah and in the Kabbalah it says, go to your roots and my roots being raised as a Baptist, which I'm no, like I, like I said, I'm an existentialist. Okay, so, but what, but what ultimately, what would be the goal of the conversation that we're having? The goal of the conversation would basically to be informed. I mean, I don't really care if y'all believe me or not, well, I care if we believe you or not, though. I do. Because I can't just let people call and talk and then I don't agree with them. And, you know, so I, I need to know what, what is the goal, okay. like, what we're trying to establish here. Okay, so that the verse that I just read about, you know, man being created from dust and God blowing mm -hmm. into the, our life, into the, into the man's nostrils, what do you think of that? What are your opinions on that? My, well, go ahead, John. I don't see what you think is scientific about that. I mean, you, you're reading stuff to us from the Bible, but we don't consider the Bible to be particularly authoritative scientific. about anything. Okay, well, here's the scientific part I'm trying to get at. In the soil, the elements that are found in soil are nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, sulfur, magnesium, calcium, iron, bromine, magnesium, zinc, molybdenum, and copper. The elements in the human body phosphorus, potassium, uh, there's trace elements of copper. I would think anything uh, that evolved or oh. exists on a planet where those elements exist would have, you know, shared elements. That's not right. earth shattering. And it says that God blew into, you know, man's nostrils. Yeah, and I don't know that there's well, any scientific basis for that. Well, basically what it's saying is the breath of life. When you breathe, if you're a healthy individual, a healthy human being, you're more, more than likely to breathe out of your nostrils. I don't think that's life. what that's saying. <laughs> what that is saying is that a God endowed life into a, a, a man made of clay. And I don't agree that that's factual. I think it's one of many origin myths yes. from many cultures. <laughs> um, yes. You know, I, the fact that we can look at what really happens and draw some parallels and say, like, oh, it says man came from the earth. And you say, well, science says man came from the earth. Oh, well, yes. And, 
you know, that's not surprising because they, we live on the earth. So the idea in many cultures of people coming from the earth in some way, going back to Greeks and, you know, Romans and, yeah. and even before is very common because where else would we have come yeah. from in their minds, right? Like maybe you might get something where we came from the stars or whatnot, but... Uh, we did come but in essence, this is nothing. This is this is nothing unexpected. I guess is what I'm saying. Okay. Well, basically, um, the the lady came back, and basically, what the lady told me was that we're we're in a simulation, and that the reason why she was able to talk to me through the radio and shit is because she's able to control the simulation. But there's like a frequency are okay now we're getting somewhere dante now we're getting somewhere so you say that she actually does come through the radio on a frequency that is audible is that correct it's not just correct this is not just in your head she's actually broadcasting on a frequency that is audible through a radio is that what you're saying it's not just the radio but yes yes that's correct. okay so then you should be able to record her have you done this the thing is, the reason why she speaks to me is because... But she speaks to you on a radio frequency, which should be recordable. Have you recorded her? All right, this is... I don't know how to explain this. I, I think it's understandable. Radio frequencies are something that we understand. And if she's recording, if she's actually broadcasting through a radio frequency, through a radio, she should be recordable. What you're hearing is actually auditory, not a, not a mental uh, construct in your brain that you're making up. She's actually speaking to you through a radio frequency. Have you recorded her? I haven't recorded it. Can you can make I, an attempt I? to record her so that other people can hear her? I would really appreciate that. In fact, I would say let's discontinue the call, and next time you call, get her on a recording, Wait, and let's hear can I, that. Can I, can I please just, like, can you please just humor me? This is all I want. And... It's, it's crazy because no, it's it's actually makes a lot of sense. I mean, now you've finally said something that we can actually test. We can actually, um, you know, try this out. We can we can we can prove what you're describing is correct by simply making recordings of the woman that's speaking to you through these devices. I mean, that's, you that, ha you have the, more here than most Christians come to the table with. And that's and you're the not scientific. That's the scientific approach. So if you're you know, if you're wanting to kind of equate science with what some of the things you're reading in the Bible, then this is a kind of a scientific way of, of validating what you're experiencing. Yeah, the other thing is if someone is speaking to you through a radio, I would then want to make sure that, you know, how do we know that this isn't coming from someone else, that someone's not playing a trick, that someone's not. So if, if it's coming through a radio, if someone's broadcasting through your radio, um, go ahead and make a recording of that. That would be the first step. Um, and let's at least, you know... Can I just, I just, can I just, like, can you just, like, humor me? Like, I'm not trying to, like, y'all don't have to believe me. I'm just... No, we don't have to believe you. You can just says. record it. <laughs> like, we can actually experience it by having you record it. It, the way, but the way it happens, it's like, like, when I told you about the experience with me and I told you my grandma walked through the door, like, as soon as my grandma walked through the door, it stopped. 
Well, that's why Tracy suggested recording. Yeah, but, that, but you can recording. record it when you're alone, right? Yeah. Your grandma doesn't have to, no one else has to be there. She'll speak to you when you're alone, record it on your cell phone. Record it on your, your computer, whatever it is. She'll, if she talks to you when you're alone, you can record when you're alone. I remember a particular case study um, when I was reading a paper on, uh, I forget exactly what, it, what it's called now, but it's, it's a way to kind of work with people um, when they're having delusions. And one of the things that they tried in this case study was they asked the woman to go and record the voices that she was hearing, and when she made the recording, there was nothing there, and she realized that this Whoa. was just her hallucinating. Now, wait a minute. If there had actually been voices on that recording, it would have been very interesting because then you, people would say, okay, well, then we need to investigate what it is that's actually coming through. What is, well, who is this voice and what is this voice? But if you have somebody that has explained to you that they're actually recording on, that they're actually broadcasting to you on a radio frequency, that should be recordable. And so my recommendation would be to go ahead and try to make a recording of that. If nothing comes through on the recording, you may want to go and seek some help for this. Well, well can I tell you like for anybody else that wants to hear basically what's going on because there are biologists and physicists that have came to the same conclusion like this isn't just me type thing like basically well come to what we are, I don't come to what conclusion though that there that there's a woman talking on the radio like or the, all right like our cells, like our cells and our DNA being programmed by our environment and... Well, I wouldn't disagree with that. I would say that's pretty, you know, that that is kind of a rough description of evolution. Would, um, you, would you think of yourself as, so do you believe in psychic abilities? I've never seen anything demonstrated to be uh, effective that way. And, I haven't and, really and either. controlled so, tests. But I think at this so, point, though... But you believe in evolution, though. Yeah, and I don't think there's anything so psychic about it. No, I mean, what I, I'm saying I, is you don't think that later on, down the line, we will develop... I don't know. I mean, I, I, it would depend on... I mean, right now, I never thought that I would be able to turn my TV channel from sitting in a chair, but here we are, right? So I don't know. Maybe we will have some sort of chip that gives us, you know, they say biomechanics is like the next step in human evolution. So who knows where this will go? I can't predict. It's but possible. I will say, next time you call Dante, go ahead and, and have that recording ready. And if you don't get a recording, I really recommend you go and speak to a professional. I want to thank you for your call. Okay, we're going to now... Uh, Teddy in Gainesville. Hi, Teddy. You're on with Tracy and John. Hi, Tracy. Hi, John. Hi, Hi Teddy. How you doing? Um, I'd I'd like to say that I was doing good, but I'm. Uh, it's it's great to speak to you though. But uh, I I spoke to you both. I, I couldn't tell you when it was probably within the last three months. Okay. Um, and I was uh. I was struggling with, I, I think, I know it was Tracy, and I, I think it was also you, John. Um, I'm sorry if I'm misremembering. That's okay. And uh, at the time, I was dealing with uh, a lot of stuff about hell, and I was very, like, kind of into reading these, like, apologetic literatures, and I was, like, just listening to as much stuff as I could on the subject, and I was very afraid of the existence of hell to the point when it was very detrimental to my life. Um and and I'll say that it, it still is, and it's continuing to get worse. Um, and at the time I spoke to you, I didn't mention this, and I'm 
I say this at risk, it's sounding like the last caller, but at the time I was kind of dealing with like a very small of what I interpreted then to be like hallucinations of sorts. Okay. And I, I, I think you're like the first real people I've like mentioned this to. So it's very weird to say it out loud, but I have had this, um, and they have gotten just incredibly intense to me. And I have, I think both a lot of reason to assume that they are or aren't like of an actual divine origin and they're very scary and 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 I'm I'm not really sure what to do with it. Okay, Teddy, I, I need I wait, let me interrupt you. Um so you're saying you haven't really talked to anybody about this. Do you have family, friends, anybody close to you that you can talk well, to? I I mean I I have my mother um at this point and like my siblings, but I don't. You know, they're very Athe, you know, atheist and agnostic, and I, I mean, I was like that too before this really started. And they haven't. I, I don't think that they would kind of take me serious, and they're not because they're not good people, I, fantastic okay, people. I, I don't. I, I feel kind of bad because sometimes I'm not the most empathetic person in the world, and I don't want to be unempathetic. But I'm taking you very seriously, but probably not for the reasons that you're thinking. And I I'm, really, really really think you need to talk to somebody and get some help with this. This is the the last call. You were having some severe anxiety issues. And it, you're basically saying that it was several, like a few months back, and it hasn't gotten better. And in fact, it's intensified. And that you are having something that you're kind of juggling the word hallucination here. I, I, I Well, so I... I think I have very good reason from like a logical or an evidential standpoint, not an evidential standpoint to think that it's real. Okay, but like I'm so like let me say like I'm not trying to convince you that my hallucinations or whatever it is. So like I've been experiencing like voices with an actual volume to them and an actual weight to them that sound to me as if they're actual voices. And I've had hallucinations that not as often, but do look like real things. It's not just a feeling. I'm not like the last caller. I I believe you. Okay, I I believe you. I'm just... No, no, but but I'm not trying to convince you that a God exists. I'm just saying from my perspective, because I don't think you should like, if someone told me like they believed in God because of religious experience they had, like I wouldn't believe them and I wouldn't expect you to... The problem here is that the things that you were describing can be tied to certain forms of mental illness and the fact that you're saying it's intensifying is concerning. And I'm just trying to make you consider why it's almost like if someone's having a pain in their shoulder and it won't go away and they're saying, oh, I just think it's because I you know, did this thing the other day. And then three months later, the pain's getting worse. It may not be the thing that you did the, you know, three months ago. At that point, don't you think that it might be wise to just go have a physician look at the shoulder and rule out any kind of real problems like cartilage issues or muscle tear or, I mean, doesn't that just make sense that you would rule out anything that could be harmful or dangerous before you proceed? So I'm, I'm not averse to like psychology or that, like, I don't have any like anti feelings against it. It's, I mean, I'm just very concerned about, you know, the consequences of doing that. And, and on like, you know, and on like a related note, what consequences? I, I, 
I mean, if you tell people I've been having hallucinations and I'm hearing voices, if you tell a, if you tell a, a, pers- a professional therapist or a professional counselor or psychologist or whoever you go and see, they are not going to go and broadcast. They'll this. help you. I, it's I, not, and it's not just psychological. Well, it could be they, physical. Yeah, too. and also, they, yeah, that's the other thing. There could be a physical problem, or they could say it's nothing to worry about, and that would be great. Well, well, well like let me let me put it. The last caller, did you get the impression from them that they were even able to consider the fact that their hallucination wasn't real? Because I, I would think if I was actually truly crazy, then I wouldn't be able to even consider that or I wouldn't even like be aware. I would just instantly assume that they were real. But, you know, I mean, and to me, like at a physical level, like I interpret them at the same level by this point, which I wasn't earlier. Here's the problem. When, when a person has an issue, like, for example, an alcoholic. They will pretty much rationalize it in any way they have to rationalize it to maintain. But it's not an wait a minute, addiction. wait a minute. It's okay, to maintain the addiction, okay? And so sometimes they'll even say, "Yeah, I might have a problem." Would I even be considering that I might have a problem if I, you know, if I was really an alcoholic? I mean, you know, I, I know I drink a little bit much, or maybe I go. Or a lot of times they'll they'll measure it to the point that they can. There's something called a functional alcoholic, and that's a person that, in order to protect their alcoholism, will make sure that they don't drink too much to go to work, that they don't drink too much that makes problems in their lives, and they restrict their drinking consciously, not because they're really like um, not an alcoholic, but because they know that if they go over those lines, they'll have to address it and they might have to stop drinking. So they end up trying to measure that to control it. And so when I hear somebody saying, like, would I do this if I was actually having pride? It's like, yeah, because sometimes people understand how to curb that sort of problem in order to maintain the, the, the perspective that I'm okay and it's not a problem. I don't know. I don't know you. I don't know your situation. And I'm not even saying you have a problem. I'm simply saying that you are exhibiting some symptoms that are concerning. And the, it would be a really good idea to rule out issues that could be harmful or that could progress in a worse way. If, if you go and talk to somebody that's a professional and they tell you, you seem okay to me, whatever these things are, these voices or whatever, it's just might be you working things out in your own head and it's cool. Um, I actually had a friend who had a period where she was hearing voices and she did go to a professional and they told her it was nothing to worry about and eventually the voices just stopped. It was just a period in her life where this is something that manifested. It might be nothing to worry about, but it might be something to worry about. Why not just go rule out the concern? I, I mean, well, so I'm I'm on a I'm a college student, and I I I did go to a I, I went to a psych the college psychiatrist or psychologist or mm-hmm. whatever it was several times, but I never I you know at the time I really wasn't dealing with this issue, and I I and they they told but I didn't have like the hallucination problem. I just told them about the fear, and they sure they kind of told me that it would go away on my own unless I wanted to take like anxiety medication. And I was a little reluctant to do that. But if it's getting um, worse, but, it might be an option. It might be something to go back and maybe consider anti-anxiety medication. If you're well, having worse anxiety after three months, it's not getting better, Teddy. It's not getting it, better. Well, th- at this point, my thing isn't the anxiety. It's like my main two things is if the health thing is actually something I need to worry about. And if these things in my head are real or not, either way, either way, I'm in a pretty bad shape because then I, if I'm having these things and they're not real some sort, then I'm, I, I would be crazy because at the level they're at, but 
Well, the thing um, is, the thing is, Teddy, though, is that we can sit here and we can tell you they're not real and hell's not real and you have nothing to worry about. But this is real to you right now, and so that's the, that's the the thing you need to work through. Well, 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 right. But okay. Well, say so. Say hypothetically, this was real, and this is my thing. And I go out to uh, I go to the psychiatrist and I tell them my issue. The psychiatrist like you, which, and I think this is the rational thing from your perspective to do is to assume honestly, and, and, and I, I wouldn't be insulted by this assumption, which I'm sure you're making that I'm crazy. I'm not insulted by that assumption because if I came across a person, I thought the last caller sounded crazy to me, which is weird. And I'm sure people who like, would hear yeah. me would think that I'm crazy. I'm honestly but, not assuming I, that. Yeah, we, yeah, I don't assume you're crazy. I don't even assume the, the last I, caller I'm just saying crazy. that you have symptoms I'm, that could I, I align with problems. And it's just to rule it out. It's just like if somebody came to was talking to me and they had ambiguous symptoms that could align with cancer and could well, be no, benign. It's like I would say, would you want to rule out cancer? I would. Well, well, but the difference is, is so if this is real and I go to the psychiatrist mm -hmm. and you know then then I. Yeah, I, I don't mean realism. I'm crazy. I mean realism. The things they're going to tell yeah. me that I'm crazy either way. No, they're not. This is the thing you have. Okay, wait a minute. You've gone to a counselor. Did they tell you you were crazy? I they they did not. But at the time, I, I have never heard of a counselor telling someone they're crazy. I have I never heard of that. I, they will I not do that. They're literally. I, I'm sorry, I don't mean that they're literally going to say you're crazy or nuts. I mean, they're going to say, we diagnose you with whatever. You need to be taking these medications. You need to be hospitalized. They may or may no, not, though. You're making these assumptions about what you're almost doing with the, with the psychiatry or, or, the, or the, I guess the psychiatrist might actually be prescribing because that's what they do. But if you go to like a therapist, for example, or a counselor or, or some sort of a psychologist, there is no telling what they'll do because we don't know what's going on here and they won't know until they see see you and so they can't possibly make any kind of recommendations until they've had a chance to evaluate what's happening here and it's like I just said I had a friend who went she was hearing voices I think most people if they heard that would be like oh my gosh you know she has schizophrenia but when she talked to the person she was fine they were like you know it's, it just sounds like something that you're working out in your own head over some stressful stuff and it'll probably resolve itself and it did now, with you, you're, you're, you're calling and saying three months ago I called, and now it's much worse. And I'm saying... Well, and, and at that point, it was several months. But, but the, the hallucinations, and I, I, mean, I mean, I'll be... For, I, at this point, I'm like slightly more leaning towards the fact that they're real or not. And when I, I mean, when I say hallucinations, I really mean like what you would probably call like demonic experiences. And I know... I, well, so look, if I go to the psychiatrist, they're going to... I, I wouldn't yeah, even say a psychiatrist. Go to like a, a, a licensed therapist. And well, I, I'm I'm just using it as a catch-all term. I'm so, I don't I yeah. don't actually know that. If you go to a psychiatrist, you may actually end up prescribed something because that's that's kind of what they do. Yeah, they're yeah. they're doctors. <laughs> but I would say go to go to a, a licensed therapist um, in your area and just get this looked. At. Would you would you consider doing well, that bef and then calling us back after that experience? Well, so, well, can I just say, because the, the problem wasn't that they were going to assume that I'm crazy or that I'm diagnosable. Even if I'm not, the thing is, is that they are always, and this is from their perspective, probably the rational thing to do, operate under the assumption that I am that I am incorrect about the fact that I am actually hearing these voices. Maybe not, and though. Or, or not, I'm sorry. I not think you're I'm making assumptions about that what that they're going is. to assume. I think that you... Do you, Tracy, you, you honestly think I'm going to go and they're going to say, yes, I'm, you're those... 
things in your head. They might say I'm, I have something to worry I'm about. I'm saying say that there is a big about. range between I'm having demon visits versus I'm yeah. imagining things that need to be put on antipsychotics. There's a huge yeah. range of possibilities that this, that this counselor is supposed to be considering. My my concern isn't that they're going to label me something. I mean, it is a concern, but my bigger thing is if they are, if the things I'm having are real, they have no way of recognizing. Right, that. but we they could rule out. We could rule out everything else they could think it is, couldn't we? No, and they will convince me that it's not real. And then if they are real, and I will I have I mean, to worry about that. Demons to worry. I, about. I think you're and talking yourself out of counseling, and I think what you're doing is exactly what I was afraid that you were doing to start. You're basically trying to come up with any excuse in the book to not go see somebody who may be able to help you because you're protecting this this situation. And that's what I was talking about with regard to the alcoholic. You are you are basically preemptively implying that I have control of of the hallucination. I, I don't believe an alcoholic has control. So no, I'm not implying I, that I, at all. No, I. I'm saying I'm saying I, that you are protecting control, this situation. You are making every excuse in the book to not investigate other avenues that could potentially be causing this because you are protecting and, and, this and, situation. And, and that it's could lead me to you know the. I don't the know. I, can, I don't know what to tell you. I my pants. I cannot, in good conscience continue taking your calls unless I know that you've gone to somebody and ruled out other potential problems. I mean, I really have to draw a line and say that if you want to call back, and at least I can't speak for other hosts, but for myself, if you want to call back, you're going to have to go and see a counselor and talk to somebody and at least get a visit in and have them look at this and evaluate it and, and give you the, the okay that there's nothing really badly wrong going on here. And until that happens, I just don't feel right because I feel like I'm enabling you if there is a problem by taking the calls and by continuing this conversation when I really think that you should go and at least rule out the potential for something harmful. I can't enable that. I've become, I've become the surrogate for you going and getting help, and that's not acceptable. It's not helping. And I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry, and I know that seems harsh, but if, I'm happy to talk to you more, but you have to go and see someone first, and they have to say that, that, that you're not in any danger. And if that happens, I can talk to you again. Is that fair? Okay. Well, that's too bad. So I'm going to not... Okay, I see there's somebody else that's like being screened on that line, so I'm not going to hang up on that line. Um, yeah, that, that is definitely not something I want to encourage people to keep doing. It's, it's almost like I just want to just explain to some people who may not understand what I just did. Sometimes a person will have a problem, and then they come to you and they talk to you about it like as a friend, and they'll say, like, I'm in a situation that's really, really bad. And you're like, okay, obviously this person has to resolve or get away from this situation. And so you talk to them a little bit and try to be supportive. And they come back later, and they're like, it's getting much worse. And you're like, okay, I'm here. I'm ready to help you. I'm, I'm ready to support you. I think that you should go in and seek help with this particular group or these people that I know can help you. They deal with the situation. They can at least evaluate this and see if there's any danger of this escalating or getting worse. And the person is making every excuse in the book to not go and actually get help or to go and at least find out if they need further help. 
When that happens, what they start do is they start leaning on you as the as sort of the release valve to let the pressure off so that they can stay in the situation. They can come to you, they can release the pressure, they can go back and stay in that situation. And so they never fix the situation. And you never know if they're in real danger or they're not in real danger. And you just sit there constantly hearing somebody come to you and you feel like you want to help them and you can't because they are not going to get help. I don't know what is going on with Teddy. I, I really don't. But I wouldn't feel right continuing to be that release valve for him so that he can stay there and not go and get it checked. All I'm asking him to do is just go and, and have a conversation with a therapist and have that <clears throat> checked. And if, if he can get a therapist to say, I don't believe that you are in any danger. I don't think that you need to be on any kind of medications. I don't think that there is a problem here that's going to be dangerous for you or get worse in the future. Then I will continue talking to Teddy like any other caller. But I don't feel comfortable with it right now because he's acting like somebody who is avoiding going. He's, he made every excuse and put up every wall yeah. to go and talk, just to go in, in, in and talk to a therapist. Well, and I think, that's, I think that's part of the fear. I mean, he has a lot of fear. He's struggling with a lot of fear. And if you're still watching Teddy, I just want to encourage you that, uh, that I, I understand that fear is a big, you have a fear of hell. I think you have kind of a fear of getting this checked out. You have a fear of being labeled crazy. I mean, even with Dante, we didn't, I don't think Dante's crazy. I think right. if he went and did a recording and there was, sure enough, there was a voice there, uh, that's you know that's why we want to test it. Yes. We don't just immediately jump to the assumption that there's no voices and he's crazy. And I don't and I wouldn't jump. And I don't think a, a therapist would jump to the assumption that you're crazy and you need uh, you know you need meds. Uh, maybe there's something going on that's uh, that needs to be checked out. And, and I think the anxiety though is also evident because what what I saw what I saw Teddy what I saw Teddy doing was already preemptively building this up to a big ugly situation. He's like, he's like 500 conversations ahead with the therapist already and taking yeah. medication. And it's like, dude, you just need to walk into the <laughs> office and, and sit down and just have an hour and just let them know what's going on. They can chat with you and maybe set up, you know, like we'll talk next week and see how this goes. And here's some things you can try. Here's some things you can focus on. I mean. Yeah, they're not going to, a good therapist isn't going to judge you. They're not going to call you crazy. They're not going to say right. it's all in your head. Um, they're going to sit down and find out what's going on and figure out the best way to help you. I've gone to therapists more than once. Yeah, Licensed me therapy, too. <laughs> and it's awesome. And I've loved the experience and recommend it to anybody who thinks they need it. Don't be afraid to just go seek out a therapist. And for those who are having bad experiences with religious therapists, there is the Secular Therapy Project. They will help, right. find, help you find a secular therapist, so just kind of FYI on that front. All right, well, that was interesting. So now we're going to go to... Looks like Mo in Burleson, Texas. Hi, Mo. You're on with John Hi. and Tracy. Hey. Hi, John and Tracy. Good. How are Hi, you? Mo. Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, I just had a question about ancestry, and uh, it's been bothering me a, a while. How many ancestors do you suppose we all have? I mean, really, every human being that's ever been born was born to a mom and a dad, right? Right. I mean, seems logical, except for, of course, maybe Adam and Eve and Jesus. But, it, <laughs> um, you know, we have two parents and four grandparents and eight great-grandparents. Yeah. And, and websites number, where you can just trace this stuff all over the place. 
and I do a lot of that, by the way. Into the the names and um, the places of birth and stuff, just the numbers alone become incomprehensible. Well, I think ultimately we're all related, right? Isn't that the, the, the thing? Well, yeah, but I mean, do you understand how big these numbers get? They keep doubling every generation. Sure, yeah, it's right. huge. If you, go back, if, you go back, if you go back 10 generations, you're already at 1,000, yeah. roughly. And if you go back 20 generations, you're at a million, and then a billion. And then at 40 generations, the number is a trillion. Well, that's impossible. Why is that impossible? Well, think about it. There's, has there ever been a trillion people on the planet? Well, all at once. You will actually together more well, than a trillion Well, but there's not now. an infinite regress. <laughs> it's not as though humans as a species have, have existed infinitely. Like, we haven't existed through an infinity of time. Maybe right? Not, no. But, um, <laughs> okay. Well, right. Just making yeah, sure. We only go back so far. Right. But every, every person that's ever existed was born to a mom and a dad. It takes two to make one. And so it seems like there's no way we could have come from just two people. We must have come from many, many people, but even... (laughs) I think, do you understand like how evolution works? Like, is that even on the radar? I mean... Two people can have many, many children too, so it's... Right. Yeah. We're not all only. We're not only. Right. So if it starts, but but (laughs) I starts from a single point and branches out, it gets really huge too. As long as it goes out, right? Well, I, I, it's okay. I mean, I can understand the numbers when it's just two and four and eight and thirty-two and sixty-four and, but beyond a few thousand. It's kind of hard to understand that every person on the planet now, if you know, I'm just tracing the the ancestry back for one person. For right, but I mean, I, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is you're kind of saying, is this an issue for the Bible? And I'm saying this would the way that you're looking at it would be an issue for science as well because they are saying there's common ancestry with all life on the planet. So well, that, according to what you're saying, that's enough. impossible too. It does seem to be both <laughs> impossible and yet very logical. Um, I guess there's a lot of questions that fall into that category, things that are impossible to understand fully. But yet on paper, it does make sense yeah. that the numbers do double every generation. Well, but not, but not really, because you can have 10 children and they all have the same two parents. So you don't have a, like twice as many right. in the previous generation yeah, as this generation, okay, you know, necessarily. Every, yeah. every child has two parents. And right, four right but, for, but I think what John is saying, for example, my mother came from a family where they had 14 children from two parents. Right. My brother and I so all those people have the same two had parents. the same two parents. Okay, but still, they, there's four grandparents and eight great grandparents. Right, but a lot of dis- but 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 those sixteen people have a lot of descendants. So it's not, yeah, they're yeah, still they're still big numbers, but it's not doubling every generation you go back. That's the point I'm it, trying to make. It does, 
It's actually branching outward, right? It's getting broader. Because if you look at human population growth, right, it's getting, there's more people now than there was a generation ago, than there was a generation ago, than there was a generation ago. So actually the numbers of people are increasing, right? So we are, we are making more descendants than ancestors. Well, I'm not sure I can... We know this because human population can be measured. It's getting bigger. And we're, we're, there's like 7 billion people now. And when I was a kid, there was only 3 billion people on the planet. So it's, it's okay. branching. It's, it's getting bigger, not smaller. It's, yeah, the world population is growing. Okay. Yes. That's what everybody says. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but We're having, making mean, more people. Just like lemmings, right? We, we, we can see other species do this, where they start making lots and lots. Like you can have two mice that you buy at the store, and oh my gosh, what do you know? You have a breeding pair, and you didn't expect it. You thought they were both female, and before you know it, you have tons of mice, right, from those two. Right, but doesn't what I'm saying make a little bit of sense also because... Not in light of what I know about mice. Right? Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. You can start okay, with those two mice, and then you can end up with, like, your house overrun with all these mice that you've got to get rid of. Well, the part that makes okay. sense is that, the, yes, there's been a lot of humans, uh, beings on this planet over the, you know, the history of this planet. And, you know, fortunately, we're not all alive at the same time because <laughs> there wouldn't be room for all of them. But people die off, and, you know, we're growing as a whole. But, yeah, there's, a, there's, a, there's been a lot of human beings on this planet. And so, yeah, I mean, if, if, do, if, if I were... They die off, Ian. Yeah, they do and die off. Sisters die off. Sure. But before they died off, they, they had children. Sure they did. Mm -hmm. And so if you pick any moment in time in any country, anybody in history, they have a mom and a dad and two grand, uh, four grandparents and eight great-grandparents and then so on and so on. But it dovetails back, you know it, right? It dovetails back. And we, we, we are it's pretty sure about common ancestry. So it's going to dovetail back at some point. It branches out broadly, and then it keeps branching out broadly. It, it's not branching out backwards. What you're looking at, if you look at the generation before our generation, what John is trying to explain is there's actually less people. And if you look at the generation before them, there's less people. And it, there keeps becoming less and less people. In the future, there may be less people. No, no, no. In the future, there's probably going to be more. Now, there are certain things oh. that could impact that. But I'm saying current trends prevailing, we're going to continue to grow as a population. Right. Some countries grow real fast and some... Some are not growing at all. But, right, um, right, because some have you know, pulled back mm -hmm. on that a little bit. But the point is, just think of it in terms of, like I said, go to the pet store, get yourself a couple breeding pair of mice and see what happens, right? And, and after all those mice breed and you right. have like 200 mice, all those mice are going to have parents. And but, they all started from two. Right. Not from, you know, 200. 200 not, of the, not that I'm trying to defend Adam and Eve here, but I'm just saying that you're going to have the same problem even if you go to, to an evolutionary model. It, the way you're looking at it would still be problematic. Well, it's, it's impossible that there was ever a trillion people on the planet. But I'm not... 
I'm not aware that anybody's. Was. Yeah, I don't. I don't think anybody's made the claim that there's nobody. Been a nobody would think. People. Nobody would say that. Yeah, and right. Then, you know. But there doesn't but, have to be. I guess is the point. Yeah, I don't. We're, think we're getting more. But there's more people coming out. That it's it's getting bigger, not smaller. Yeah. Okay. I mean, like I, I said, try to try to think about the mice model. I agree with you, okay. but but I'm just trying to understand it, and it really. But the mathematical part of it says that, okay, no matter how many people there ever was, they, every one of those people had a mom and a dad. Right, but what John was pointing out is that big groups of those people had the same parents. So a lot of people exactly. go back to less people, go back to less people, go back to less people. Well, no, yeah, it's not going to double, but... Um, it, it probably would more than double in some instances. I would imagine, and you know, depending on, like I said, my my parent, my mother's family was fourteen, and that was not unusual. She was Italian Catholic, and that's very common in, when she was younger to have huge Catholic families. Uh, that was a normal thing. Yeah, there's a lot of duplicity in in all those numbers, but okay. Um, well. All I can say is, all right. <laughs> buy, a, buy yourself a couple guppies and a fish tank <laughs> and watch, watch what happens. <laughs> yeah, and it'll kind of make a little model for you to understand how that... And then when it, when it gets full, think about how each of them right. has parent guppies, right? So Perhaps, but uh, <laughs> I would be asking, where did these two guppies come from? They must have had... Parents. Right, but, but uh, and they probably or, or they had the same parents. You never know. Yeah, yeah, they might have. They might have. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. Well, um, well, thank you. Okay, thank you, Mo. Thank you. Enjoy, enjoy right. the show. Thanks. Thanks. Appreciate it. Okay, so now we're heading on to Michael in Thousand Oaks, California. Hi, Michael. You're on with Tracy and John. Can you hear me? Yeah, we yeah. can hear you fine. Hey, Michael. Excellent. Um, your screeners got me down for creation reset as a concept, but I need to talk about one other thing first. Okay. Can I do that? Well, I guess. So it has to do with the, tab the taboo against incest. Okay. If you go to any Christian site, they will defend it by saying, yes, it happened in the early generations in the Garden of Eden mm -hmm. and thereafter for a while. And sure. then mutation um, accumulated in the genetics, of, in the um, genome of uh, humans. And it became necessary when they noticed that there were um, genetic uh, diseases um, from, from breeding in, inside families that um, they had to impose the taboo of incest. So the problem is they have disregarded what we know about DNA repair enzymes. And there's a, a multitude have been studied and, and cataloged. And the point I'm thinking of is that when the exit from the Garden of Eden took place, every, every cell had a set of enzymes and because they were created, uh, sorry, repair enzymes, and because they were created in the Garden of Eden. They were perfect, and they were able to create every mutation that assaulted the genome of any human. So, since you're exiting the Garden of Eden, 
with perfect repair enzymes, you cannot, there will not be an incident where a mutation will survive in your, in your genome. And perfection of the genome will perpetuate. I think, I mean, really? having argued with lots and lots of Christians, I think pretty much the fall covers anything that could ever happen. A volcano blows up and kills the city, oh, the fall. Um, you know, somebody gets violent with a child, oh, the fall. You know, you, cancer, the fall. Right, it's like it's all the fall. I would say that basically a Christian, because I'm just going to let people, you know, you're you're identified as, as atheist on the call screening, but the Christian right. community's response to um, the idea that oh, this was created and even there, I mean Eden, and therefore it's perfect would be uh, the fall. I mean that's my experience with talking to them. Okay, and that's just um... <laughs> it's the fall. Totally not covering covering every every event that needs an explanation. Anything that ever happens that isn't perfect ever is the fall. <laughs> right? Okay, it's the fall, and free, case, free will because of the fall. My, um, okay, and, and we reject that obviously. <laughs> Well, and I think all of that. We don't have it. I think all of that, anyway, is kind of after the fact rationalization. Their their myth ties them into saying we, we all started from Adam and Eve, and so there had to have been incest to, for anything to happen after that. And so, the, and, but now they don't like it, so they have to have some excuse. And I think that that mutation thing was just something that was dreamed up as, hey, this you know this will help explain it, and and it's not really okay. like well, trying to, to be consistent with the whole narrative. Yes, and they don't. There's and some. There, you know. there are some really weird incest connections that aren't taboo, right? Like that aren't listed as taboo. I think it's. I'd have to go look it up. Um, but it, there were some weird ones, like uncle niece, uh, wasn't on the list. And you know, so there's a few that are actually, you know, oh, often like, tied to child sexual, you know, abuse that were not on the yep. list of of uh, banned. Uh, incestuous unions in the Bible. Okay. Yeah, there's some, there's some outstanding. Um, I, I want to say, I, I'd have to look it up, and so I, I could be wrong, but I want to say the father-daughter may not be on there, but mm. I'd have to look. It was some really strange ones that were missing where I was just like, um, yeah, there's mom and son is on the list, but where's, you know, so it's, it gets a little squirrely. Well, it, it's difficult to argue because they get comfortable with um, their non-scientific uh, Explanations that cover everything and, and account for it. You know, anything that can't explain, it's covered. Yeah. So right. let me go to my um, my first talk topic about the um, creation reset. Sure. Uh, my claim is that God uh, instantly knew when he created Adam and Eve, his omniscience allowed him to foresee every event in the future. Not control it, just foresee it. Okay. Correct. Oh, I would, I would say... A great many Christians would accept that as correct. I would say they would say that he saw what was going to happen before he in initiated creation. So, yes. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, that's interesting. You say before. I've never thought about that. Yeah. I would say at the instant where you have something tangible, some molecules exist, then you have the ability with your omniscience to foresee forever. So... Um, but I'll, I'll consider what you said there and, and give it some thought. The thing is, when he saw how bedeviled um, his situation was from the, 
this creation that he made, why would he, would he not say, um, Eve took a bite of the apple, I don't like that, that's going to make for um, terrible events downstream. Let me retract this one and do one more tomorrow and see how it turns okay, out. Okay, yeah, and I understand what you're saying. Let me just real quickly, I've actually had this conversation with people before from the perspective that I just shared with you a little bit ago, like a minute ago. I'll basically okay. say that if I'm a god and I can foresee every possible outcome before I initiate one of them, then right. if I chose this one, then th everything that happens in this one is my fault because I opted for this. I said, this is the one I want. I want the one where this many people go to hell and this many people get cancer and this many children get sexually assaulted and this many, this is the one I want. I could have this one where everything's great, but I like the one where tons of evil happens and people get punished and, and hurt and, and, and you know, all kinds of damage and pain and horror. That's the one I'm opting for. So we agree. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it, now there's a lot. There are some Christian rebuttals, which is like God could have seen it, but he chose not to look ahead, in which case I'm like, wow, how irresponsible is your God? Right. So he's aware that there could be these horrors that could happen. And he just spun the roulette wheel and said, you know, through the dart, let's just pick one at random. And if all hell breaks loose, then so be it, you know, set Satan loose on the planet. And, you know, hey, that, well, the, if that happens, it happens. I, I don't I don't want to know. And the catch all excuse okay. I think for that is free will. Well, he knew, he knew it was going to happen, but didn't want to interfere with our free will. Yeah, which is a whole other and, kettle of problems, yeah. right? Like, I get it. <laughs> so yeah, I think so, I think we agree. One. I would tell you, I would just I would back it up a step. Yeah. But yeah, we agree. The conclusion is he must have wanted the fall to happen, right? Because he would have known Absolutely. it was going to happen. And it's like, oh, you did it. You're responsible. And it's like, no, it was already preordained. It was preordained. Um, whether or not, it was like it was chosen. It was chosen by your God. Um, using your analogy, Tracy, he picked the one where he had to. He would pull the pin on the hand grenade and then jump on it himself, yeah. showing his love. Yeah, and then put himself back together. I do like that analogy. <laughs> right, <laughs> and then and yeah, okay, folks. and then blame us. <laughs> it just gets better. So, yeah. All right. Well, it was a fun call. I appreciate your call. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. your show. I do enjoy it. Well, thanks. All right. Bye, Michael. Okay. And now we have Nate. Let's see. Let's get to Nate on line six. And this is Tracy and John. Hi, Nate. Hey, Tracy. Hey, John. How are you? Good. Doing well. Great. Great. And uh, do you have a crowd in front of you? We do. We have a, we have a small little oh, gathering yeah. here. Hi, hi. No, they're letting hi, themselves hi. be known. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, I was I was actually on last week as well. I think it was uh, uh, Jen and uh, Tom. Okay. And uh, yeah, and and they helped me reinforce uh, a, an idea in my mind, and my argument was. Uh, based on asexual reproduction, uh, okay. you know, Jesus Christ might be female, right? Because Mother Mary reproduced asexually. And uh, so I think we have all of it wrong. Perhaps Jesus Christ actually was female or Mother Mary had a beard because offspring of uh, asexually reproduced progeny, the, the progeny of asexual reproduction is always an exact female clone. Of like it. a clone, right? Yeah. 
But I mean, they're saying that <laughs> so somehow there's like the divine aspect to it. That how do we measure that? Because nobody knows what that even means, right? Yeah, God put right. God put the male <laughs> DNA into or did whatever. I mean, what does a god do when it reproduces? Yeah. I have no idea, and neither yeah, does anyone no, actually, else. Jen, no, no, Jen spoke of an interesting idea. She said, "Okay, there are some there are some uh, stories out there which talk about God having inseminated Mother Mary uh, through the year, right? Through her a year, her where oh, she, where she okay, hit, I hadn't heard that yeah. one. Okay." So that, that, <laughs> so we have very interesting ways of getting about uh, these things. Anyways, but what, what I'm here to talk about uh, today is, uh, oh, but before that, the last, uh, the first two calls, I thought you guys were running a psychiatric clinic. clinic. Yeah. You send them an invoice. It makes me uh, a little like, well, it makes me a little uncomfortable to be honest when yeah, we get calls like that because we're I, not really qualified. I, I don't want to say or do the wrong thing with somebody that uh, <laughs> yeah. doesn't. Yeah, I understand. No, it's great. Yeah. But, uh, it, 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 it's very good of you guys to be able to, uh, you know, politely post on this call. The, what I was going to talk about is uh, uh, something called the simulation hypothesis. And sure. So heard of it. Yeah. So, which, which essentially, I'm sure you have. And just in one quick line, without getting into a ramble on that, uh, is uh, the idea that uh, all of reality, you know, including the Earth and uh, the, all of the universe is, in fact, an artificial simulation. Right. right? And uh, it, 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 it's likely that because we as human beings, we know that we are developing technologically and it's, it's not unforeseeable that in the future we will have simulations that uh, the characters within which uh, will evolve, we can evolve, we will create the conditions for it, and then the characters within that simulation find that everything, feel uh, pain, emotion, all that, and they think that that is their world. Uh, similarly, we are in a simulation, and then we then, by the same stretch of imagination, take it a little bit further. Uh, right, they, so simulation's all the way down, right? All the way down, exactly. Okay. <laughs> all, the way down. all right. But all the way to the past, yeah. I mean, we are probably created by a character in a previous simulation. Okay. But that said, uh, and it's also testable, by the way. Uh, I was just going through a paper uh, in the Cornell University Library okay. by Tom Campbell, O'Hadi, Sagwa, and Watkinson. They have written a paper and submitted submitted it last February, I think, of, of being able to physically test. Uh, I have a question about that. This particular I have a yeah, question, yeah, yeah. right? So, so, so you're not well, when, right? you're not the first person to call and bring this up. The last time this happened, I kind of cut off the call and people got really angry, which is why I'm like, <laughs> I want to talk to Nate because people got mad when I didn't talk to the other guy. So we'll talk. Um, what I basically yeah, so. said to the other dude was, yeah, I would accept that if we found out that we were living or if I found out I was living in a simulation, because that might mean there are no other people, right? It could just be me. So if I'm living in a simulation, and I can and yeah. I and I consider t you know God to be the thing that created my universe. Then I would be totally fine saying, "Oh, this is that thing they were referring to when they said God." You know, okay, fine. I get that, and I'm actually wouldn't wouldn't have an objection to saying that would be the the God for the simulation or whatever. But I have a question that came up when I started thinking about this later. If you were, let's say, you were on a jury, right? Like you're in a jury, and you have heard the whole case against the defendant. And right before you're ready to read your verdict, someone comes to you and says, 
all of the evidence that we have presented to you, all the testimony, all of the forensics, everything was fabricated. Would you be able to hand down what you would consider to be a valid verdict in that case based on the evidence you'd been presented? No, that'll have me think twice because this person coming to me and saying all that evidence was bunk. Right. Uh, now I need to again evaluate whether what he's saying or she's saying is right. true or not. So now here's the question. <laughs> well, here's the question. If we are in fact living in a simulation, wouldn't that mean that all of our evidence is also simulated? Yeah, everything is. So how would we be able to trust that anything is is trustworthy? You can't, but that's not the point I was trying so to make. So then what evidence could that's there be I'm... for a simulation? Yes. I'm sorry, say that again? Tracy. What evidence could there be for a simulation if we are aware that all of the evidence is fabricated? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I, I have that question as well, and, and I am not a physicist, and I wouldn't be able to, uh, you know, even... But I mean, anything we're looking at, anything that. we're studying, we cannot trust is is factually, you know, it, it's just like, it's like trying to study a dream. That's right. I mean, it's like, a, it's like the frog in the well. I mean, <laughs> how would the frog ever know that there's anything outside the well and, and anybody ever made that well right, for, for it? The well is its world. But what if you said the well isn't even real, right? The, there's not even a well. Yeah, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I mean yeah, that's, like, that's not me. I'm just... I'm what are, whatever you're looking, fighting. whatever's being looked at, to say, hey, this is the evidence that we that we're in a simulation. It's like, well, but how do you trust that if it's if you if you're saying it's fabricated? I don't understand. But right. anyway, exactly. now we'll get ten thousand yeah. letters telling me how we know <laughs> we're in a simulation. So, but anyway, go on. I wanted to just ask that because I thought, oh, maybe this guy has the answer. But go, 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 go. What's the rest of your no, point? No, no, I, I don't. I don't have answers. <laughs> All I have is questions. Okay. If I did have answers, then I, I wouldn't be calling your show. <laughs> I would be putting out a paper. Okay. So uh, I know that there are there are certain physicists who are uh, who actually have put out. Uh, certain scientific papers, which, which I admit I'm not in capacity to evaluate or anything like that. I'll just take their word for it for now that they are, they have proposed some ideas allowing us to test that hypothesis, right? But then what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is let us assume for a second that somehow they're able to test it and then uh, it is rendered plausible, plausible that um, there indeed, we indeed are in a simulation, which means classically, then we will have a creator, right, in the sense of that word. So uh, if that is true, then the question to you is, uh, if that turns out to be true, let me frame this correctly, would you, would you then, would you then define that creator in the framework of God and the way, in the way that you would define it. Uh, well, that's kind of what if, I was yeah. saying before. Well, like if, if, if not, yeah, I mean, I think right. it would, there are times when, so for example, look, let's look at it this way. There are times, well, I mean, we can kind of use the, the whole debate about the historicity of Jesus, right? So there's this whole question of like, if we found out that there was a reformist Jew that was the foundation for the stories about the mythological Jesus, would I be willing to say like, okay, that's the Jesus, right? And I guess it's kind of like that. It's, it's sort of like, it doesn't have all the aspects of the, 
of the myth, but it has sufficient aspects that it's like, okay, I, I think this is what spawned the myth. And it's kind of the question of, would you say that that was Jesus? Would you say it wasn't Jesus? Would you say that it's like in a close approximation of the thing that you, this is where the Jesus came from? And I would probably be fine saying like, okay, this is the God, right? This is, this is that thing that people are referring to when they refer to God. Um, I, I would probably at that point accept it, but I wouldn't accept, you know, necessarily the whole mythological the whole construct framework. of yeah. it. Right. But I would say this is the thing that spawned the thing, you know, that is God. And if somebody were to say like, ah, that's the God, I, would, I wouldn't be like, ah, don't call it that. Right. I mean, I, I think it just would come down to a matter of how a person's perspective would allow them to work within that. Some people would probably be like, no, that's not, it just proves there's not really a God. And somebody else would be like, that's the thing that spawned the God. And somebody else would be like, oh, there's the God, you know. <laughs> and I think either way, I would probably be like, okay, I, you, know, it's, you can look at it in, in many ways, and I probably wouldn't have a problem with any of them. <laughs> I mean, and... and- yeah, and uh, I, I think I like that answer. You still, you still have to make the, you still have to make the leap from plausible to to it really, it really exists. Probable. You can say, well, yeah, yeah there's yeah. we did we we can do some testing, and this kind of may be true. But so then you get, well, this thing that I want to call God may be true, right. and that doesn't really help But I think really what Nate you. is saying is, well, hey, what if, we, what if we found out we were in a simulation and we found the little trademark register, like, you know, one day at the corner of the universe? And, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and it was you, like, yeah, okay, Would you be okay to go. call that God? Yeah. Sure, I guess, yeah. if you've got to call it something. I, I would be all right with it. I would be like, hey, that's, more, that's closer to, to demonstrating a God than anyone's ever come. Right. <laughs> we'll, we'll give it that. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, although, although that, 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 that in itself would be, in some sense, uh, a simulation created by another simulation before it. And the totally yeah, then you get that uh, whole infinite so. regress weirdness, right? And yeah, it's who, like, where did the God come from? Story, yeah. But here we are, so who knows? Yeah, here we are. Exactly. Okay, so uh, that, all the fans who wanted me to talk about the simulation, okay, done and done. We talked to Nate. We had a good conversation. <laughs> we went down the road. I hope you are happy. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, no, it's not you. I'm sorry, Nate. No, I, I'm talking to the to the fans who who were very, very like, oh. why didn't you talk to that man about all the emails, and blog posts that we got? After we did, that. we did, we took it. Okay. All right, and I'm yeah, glad. I'm, I'm, I'm the pathway to his salvation. So <laughs> that, yeah, and I, I like I like I like your response really yeah. much because I am thinking that if there is evidence for a, I myself am not a believer, of course, because there isn't any. So you're not a synthist. Mm, what's a synthist? <laughs> <laughs> I think we just invented them. Uh, oh, Cynthia! <laughs> yeah. No, no, I'm not a Cynthia. Okay. I, uh, you know, I just, I, I just follow the evidence. It's as okay. simple as me for that. And, and if it leads to Cynthiaism, so be it. Yeah, no, I. That's cool. Well, it was very much fun talking to you, Nate. I appreciate your call very much. We have a few other people, so we do have to move on. But it was, it was very much. I, I enjoyed that. It was delightful. Yeah. Thanks, Nate. <laughs> Thank you, Nate. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Have a Have a good evening, you guys. You, you too. too. Bye bye. I just had a thought. Okay. If, if the if the if the God simulator had to have two simulator parents I don't and then four that. simulator grandparents, goes back to a guppy, <laughs> okay. right? It's a guppy. So 
Let's go now. We finally, I'm hoping we can keep this call on because this call has been on and off, on and off, on and off my screen. And now it's back on and it's a cute little name he's picked there because I'm picking, I'm going to pick up this call and speak to a cool fan. So, hey, cool fan in Pakistan. Hey. Uh-oh. Hey, hey. How you doing? Hey. You're with Tracy and John. Good. How are you? Oh, you're nice to meet both of you. Good to meet Finally you. Good to meet you. Yeah. Thanks for calling. So what's on your mind? Uh, well, well, first of all, I just want to thank both of you. I want to say, I'm Tracy, I'm a big fan of yours. Uh, you play a vital role in me being an atheist all my life. Okay. Uh, you and Matt. Okay. Uh, first of all, thank for that. Yeah, obviously, both of you. Uh, yeah, your show is awesome. Okay. And uh, uh, we ca- I called earlier uh, to the other show. The, 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 Talk uh, Heathen. Talking Heathen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I talked to them as well. Okay. They're nice people there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I uh, want to say you have a big fan base here as well. A lot of people listen to big you. Big fans and, uh, all the way around. Yeah. What's what's on your mind today, cool fan? Uh, <laughs> uh, nothing much, really. I just wanted to say... Uh, <laughs> well, I'm glad you love the show. Thank you for calling. <laughs> no, it says here um, everything My is alive or everything is dead. Yeah, exactly. What does yeah, that mean? That's something that, that well, that's something I picked it up. Uh, you know, I was <laughs> you reading up, stuff up and uh, yeah. yeah, I picked it up. I was <laughs> reading, and then I come to that conclusion that you know, since we all made ourselves, you know, cells are neither alive nor dead. And then I kind of read. Uh, Sam Harris's book, what was the name of this book, where he contradicted the illusion of uh, free choice, where he mentioned that there is no such thing as, you know, uh, will. That whole will free will argument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That goes yeah, the down free will many argument. holes, yes. So, yeah, so that goes out of the picture as well. So that means if we do not have a willpower and if we, do, if we are made of cells, basically, who are reproducing essentially aren't are we alive or are we dead is does it mean that everything is alive in our universe and everything is dead somewhere in the middle so does it make any sense is a stupid thought it might be but that's the conclusion i came well, up i don't with. know if not having and, a will and, let's let's say i don't i mean i think i do have a will because i want things right isn't that just what will is when you will things right but yeah, but let, let's you say sure that, it is your that I want a thing. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever needed to pee? I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You want to pee, yeah, and I think you're pretty sure, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's an argument as well. Yeah, it's a valid argument. Boom! Free will <laughs> argument. Nailed it. <laughs> no, but I mean, we have a will. The question of where it comes from, and you know, whether or not. I, I, but but the point is, like for example, a plant. Let's let's take a plant. As far as we're aware, the things mm-hmm. that we put, the things that go into a human being having what we would call desires or whatever you want to label them, um, would not apply to a plant. Plants, we say, are alive. They grow. Right? They reproduce. They certainly interact with the environment. Whether or not you know mm-hmm. they have anything that we would call like desires, uh, we have no reason to suspect that they do because the function of desire, as we understand it, they don't have those mechanisms. 
So I think most people would be okay calling a plant alive, right? As opposed to dead. Like, have you ever had a dead plant? Right? I have one at home right now that's kind of between the worlds. And so you you can have a plant that's alive and a plant that's dead, and there's a very distinguishable difference in those two things, aren't there? Yeah, the only right? distinguishable difference there really is that one is growing. Green, I guess. No, one is growing. Well, I mean, you, to a certain extent, you're kind of right. I had a, a professor in college who paid big bucks for these expensive, very unique palm trees. And he had a guide, and he, um, oh, actually, it's another thing. But it, somebody, this was, I'm confusing two stories, but somebody had a, a tree that they paid for. It was a comedian. He was talking about it. He called the guy he bought the tree from. He came out, he scratched the bark, and he said, oh, no, this is still, like you said, this is still green. So it's still alive. It's still good. And he's just like, you know, maybe I don't know what a live tree looks like, but this thing doesn't look alive to me. And it's not what I paid for, you know. And, and so there was this sort of question of how how alive is it, or is it how near death, or is this thing going to revive, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, that, that kind of is the next question, isn't it? I mean, what is life? Life, what exactly well, constitute as life? Well, but I mean, I'm, I guess what I'm saying is, I I pretty much throw a plant away once it's dead, right? But I don't throw away my live plants, and so I, I can actually detect a difference between the live plant and the dead plant do you think that's fair to say that i i, yeah, I you know what you make sense and and i would but. To that conclusion myself too <laughs> but 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 when you look into the in-depth of it anything you know you kind of come to a conclusion i mean exactly the same question what is life how would you define oh life? now that's i think i mean okay life. did you ever watch there was what was the movie about the fire where they talked about the fire in terms of being alive <laughs> i'm trying to talking to john right now did, didn't see. didn't see it there, there's an old movie where they kind of had this conversation about fire and somebody said that fire okay. has these weird um attributes to it that align it with life it grows it mm -hmm. reproduces Right, like fire can spit off other, spawn other fires, like throw out other fires. So they were like, this thing can reproduce, it can grow, it consumes fuel, right? Like it, it, it grows and it uses fuel consumption in order to continue to grow. And they were making the point that fire shares a lot of commonalities with things that we consider to be alive. Uh, and I, so there are these weird metrics that you can look at and say, yeah. you know, does it reproduce? Um, does it have the capacity to reproduce? Does it have a capacity to uh, interact in some way? Does it have a capacity? Um, is there is there does like like you said? DNA, is there cellular stuff going on that is generating energy? Is it taking in fuel and then generating uh, more of itself, or you know, continuing itself in some way from a chemical perspective? Um, in order to keep going, as opposed to like mm. for example, a rock, which isn't really alive or dead it's just a, an object right it, we don't consider it to be anything that would even have the capacity to be labeled alive or dead because you have to kind of be have life as a capacity to be considered dead at some point which would be no no longer functioning in the ways that we generally mm. consider alive now i might be missing some nuance and there might be some other argument here that i'm not because this is the first time i've kind of been ap approached with this but my thought is just simply... I'm an atheist, so I'm obviously, I'm going to come up with these kind of questions when no other theist could possibly ask you these questions. Well, right I mean, now. don't you think that there's a point where you're going to cease? Yeah, I, you know what? 
right? <laughs> means anything to me. As well, it doesn't have to mean anything, but it, but it, but there will be a point where that thing that you call cool fan <laughs> isn't around anymore. You know what? There is between cool fan and the fan that I was referring to when I use that cool fan thing because I have a very cool fan on my ceiling. Oh, <laughs> that's even better. It is a double entendre. <laughs> I don't know. Do you have thoughts on this, John? I I feel like I'm talking over you, and I got in trouble for that last time. I don't want people to hate me, so talk. They don't hate you. Talk. (laughs) Um, What do I have to say about... What is the difference between life and death? I don't know. I mean, the first thought that popped into my head was that that parrot's not dead. He's resting. (laughs) Um, Yeah, how do you you determine if something's not alive anymore? It's... Sometimes it's more obvious than others. I guess it starts to... Let me give you a, li- a short story and, and let me see if it makes any sense, okay? Okay. You see, let's say, assume there is a blind guy, okay? okay. Mm-hmm. And we give that blind guy a few seconds of sight. Now, in that few seconds, he had a glimpse of an egg. And that's all. He didn't get a glimpse of anything else but an egg. Now, for him, once he got the glimpse of an egg... Everything that he described is according to that egg because that he had the only thing that he had glimpsed of was an egg. So for him, everything was egg, right? According to the mean, he sees it, he would describe everything as bigger or smaller than an egg. He would describe the diameter according to an egg that he has seen. Now, using that analogy that we have just described, uh, when we are describing life, because we have only seen the life as we have on this earth or, you know, what we know of a little bit about life, because about like 50 years ago, we knew that we assumed that there cannot be any life without a sun or without a light. There cannot be a life. Now that theory is out of the picture as well, because now we know that there are there is a life deep in the ocean. Yeah, yeah, extremophile. Where the never actually sure, reaches. sure. Exactly. So, I mean, uh, our whole definition of life turned on his head because we, what we know as life is what we can observe, and that's it. And if we go, if we take a step out of it, if we try to, we can't really because we have no idea. They cannot, we can't be alive anywhere else in any other shape or any other form. So, you know, wouldn't that be fair to say that it's just ongoing process i think okay wait i think it's i think it's fair to say but i also think for example that we define cake by our experience of cake you know what i mean and we define hair by our experience of hair it's uh these are things that we have observed and then put labels on i mean we by kind of weirdly we we do define them right we're the ones that make the definitions for them and we're the ones that can expand them if we right. need to. Um, but yes, I mean, ultimately, when you're saying this is all we're able to define, it's like, well, yeah, we can only define what we observe, right? We can only label what we observe. What else would we label? Yeah. <laughs> right? It's like they, they, they used to define when somebody died. They used to define when somebody died as when they stopped breathing, and then, or is it your heartbeat? And, and then they well, could detect brain activity, and then maybe that's when you yeah. define death. It just depends on what you can observe and what you can measure and what you can observe. Yeah. So yeah, I guess I guess uh, for my concern, I'm just maybe I'm taking a step further. <laughs> maybe I'm just uh, what I'm saying is that 
you know, is life and death is is just a continuation of this universe. I think you need we to are, you know, get yourself some corpses and stitch them together and wait for some lightning. <laughs> I think yeah. you might be onto something. I did that? I called that wife the last time. I had, you know. <laughs> All right, this call is done. Uh, we're going to go. We, we've got a couple more people waiting in just a few minutes. So I really I appreciate it. It was that a lot was of nice fun, book. if nothing else. Cool fan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Right. It's talking to you. It was a pleasure. Okay, Drizzy, I really like you, and I think you're awesome. Keep up the good work. All right, well, thank uh, you for bye. your call. Okay, bye-bye. All right, so next I have somebody that's been kind of another, I think this was another call that was kind of on and off. It's been waiting for a while. And this is um, Mark from Minnesota. You're on with Tracy and John. Hi, Tracy. Hey. Hi, John. Hey, Mark. Um, I have a working definition of God. I'd like to pass by you guys. Sure. Sure. Although if it's a working definition that you use, I don't know that it needs to pass muster with us. <laughs> <laughs> but go for it. <laughs> well, well, you might want to use it. To, to, I don't. Uh, I don't know. Perhaps I don't know. The term. Okay, here it is. The term God represents the culmination of all natural laws. And I'd also like to do reality. Okay, the term reality represents the culmination of all natural laws. Well, why would so, we say that God represents the culmination of all natural laws? Well, that's reality, correct? Well, I, I, would, I don't have a problem with reality. I mean, I'm saying that uh, if no, some... you have a problem with the term God, so do I, but... No, no, I'm saying, I'm saying that almost no one would accept that definition, so if I tried to use it, who would I talk to? Well, well use it, um, how, how about if you use it on the first commandment? Well, no, what I'm saying is since I'm the only person, I guess if I adopted it, me and you would have conversations where we understood that to be God, but nobody else would accept our definition. So what, how would it be useful? Well, okay, could I just do the first commandment with reality instead of God? Sure. <laughs> we shall have no other reality besides reality. Okay. I don't see how that helps. <laughs> and I don't, I don't, I'm trying to understand the usefulness of it. Like, if I'm, if I'm going to have a conversation with a theist, they're not going to accept this definition of God. So what is the point of using that as my definition of God? Well, a theist wouldn't accept this? That means... No, they, most that of the time they... That means they, have to, most that means of the, they aren't accepting the first commandment. No, because they're saying that God is not they the culmination of all natural laws. Yeah. So they would say that God includes supernatural aspects, for example. So why would I use a definition well, that they won't accept and then try to apply it in a way that they reject? How is that going to be well, useful? Well, and if Tracy and I had a conversation about it and agreed on... I'm sorry, wait, what? Uh, okay, let me, let me try this. Okay, okay. Okay, let's see. Let's, let's use that definition just for a second, though. Oh, sure. We can and hypothetically say, let's say that we define God as reality, okay? Yeah, okay. that's what I'm saying. Okay. Can we so hypothetically, where, yeah, sure, where are we heading with it? Okay. Okay, now using that definition, is God our creator God? Sure. Yes. And you have no problems with that either. Right. I mean, I would think that every pantheist in the world would agree with you. I just don't see any reason to call that God. 
You're, you're just taking reality that's, and you're slapping a, a different that's, label that's, on it. That's just a term. It's just a, it's just a term. Well, no, no. I, I'm, I, I mean, but, but what's the hypothetical, though? You, were, you said there was like a hypothetical that you wanted to explore with this definition. Well, we just did. With the definition of God. Uh, so what you're basically uh, saying is what if God. we were pantheists? I mean, a pantheist is somebody who accepts no, that we, to, they call reality oh, God. No. I mean, but that's, they are, they're the only group I know that accepts that definition, right? That would say that that is God. Every other group I am aware of would reject that as a, as a working definition for God. A pantheist, I think, I, and I just actually thought of that while we were having the conversation. So that would be one group that we could talk to in oh, terms. I'm not disputing that one bit. What I'm saying is, imagine if God, or the original meaning of God was that, then it was hijacked. Okay, I'm imagining that. Now what? Okay, now you can read certain parts, like uh, in the Bible and stuff, where it talks about Yahweh, and you can see he's an imposter God. If I assume that this, that God was all the culmination of natural laws originally, correct. Well, doesn't God have to be reality? No. No. Well, doesn't reality <laughs> have to be reality? Sure. That's tautologically correct. <laughs> it's like sure. saying, you know, Tracy is so Tracy. You're just using the word God in this case of reality. I'm not saying I didn't invent the word God. Right. I agree. You know, I'm just sure. saying how it was used in the Bible, not all of it. In the Bible, as far as I'm aware, the, the, the origins of where their God starts is a pantheon. Right, where they had regional gods that were basically the mascot gods for each little area. And, and everywhere you went, you would have the gods of that little area, that region. Um, and Yahweh or was, was one of those gods, I guess. Or, you know, you had, yeah. you had El at the head of the pantheon, and Yahweh was one, of the pantheon, was one of the gods of the pantheon below El. And then he ends up being the patron god for the Israelites. Like, this is how the story goes, anyway. Um, and so I'm kind of like, for example, Zeus, right, would be the god of the thunderbolts and king of the pantheon. And then you have Ares, the god of war. So this, I, I'm trying to get where you're getting the idea because it doesn't sound like uh, a hypothetical those, to me. Those, no, those were just uh, uh, describing people's personalities. Describing. <clears throat> describing. I, oh, describing, describing personalities. Well, I mean, I Yahweh yeah. had a personality yeah, as well. If you're in a, if you're I, in a tribe, I'm losing it. If you're in a tribe, which is very different than we are now, but if you're in a tribe, it would be much more apparent. I don't think the people yeah. who wrote any of those stories, though, considered God to mean ultimate reality or reality in general. I think that's, I mean, that's a concept no, you're introducing, but. But I don't think that that was ever, a, a, other than pantheism, I don't think that was ever an, uh, a definition of God that people who believed in gods used. Yeah, even religions that say that God is ultimate reality generally mean some kind of weird supernatural reality that underlies this, you know, the reality that we experience. That's not reality. Yeah. So exactly. I, it's, it's, it's not a commonly used definition. Um, and I... I, I would have to say that I don't think that it's where the concepts of gods came from. And no, I think it's just a working definition. And that's fine. I mean, and if you, if you find it useful, I, I would encourage you to keep using it. Yeah. I, I'm no, not no, sure that not it would... 
I don't know that it would help me in what I'm doing, for example, on atheist experience, because I have to talk to people who would never accept that definition. Like, that's pretty much most of the people I talk to would not accept it. A pantheist. But it is the true definition. It's the it lines up. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know what, I don't even know how to respond to that. I, I don't know that you get to tell everyone else how to define God. I mean, it's one thing if you yeah, want to use it for yourself. For a you wouldn't be mad if, the, you know, if you had that definition and you talk about the flood, then you wouldn't be mad at God, would you? If I, what was the question? If you use that definition okay. of God and, and you have the flood, you wouldn't be mad at God for the flood because that's just okay. reality. I mean, but okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not mad at the, at the sky when it rains. That's true. Yeah. You see, it changes everything. Yeah, but right. the people who believe in the flood myth don't look at it that way. Well, they should be. <laughs> I Maybe. can't make them <laughs> look at it yeah, that way. You can't way. make them, but you can put the ideas out there. That's what I'm trying to do. But I don't even accept that that's what their original concept of God's, even if I look at it from a, from a non-theistic perspective, comes from. Most of these gods came out of older traditions that were more animistic and you know, more segregated pantheon gods that had attributes or control over certain aspects or areas. And it wasn't until much later that we started to get this weird kind of monotheistic, you know, something energy, like maybe personality. But what if and, you had a, uh, a society that saw all this, but they wanted the truth? You know, they wanted to be rooted in truth. They might be like me. They might become pantheists and then a week later say, shit, I'm an atheist. I agree. But I, but I don't know that simply telling them that they have to use this definition of God would make that happen. Well, you, no, they don't have to. I'm, and I'm they won't. They entertain the idea, you know what I'm saying? I think it's only useful for people who kind of want to hang on to the concept of God in, in light of really not believing in it anymore. So I'm going to take this thing it, that I do recognize and call it God. The God. I mean, it, it destroys all the gods. It, it does. As far... Wait, I'm not... I'm not yeah, I missed that. It, it destroys all the other gods besides reality. It destroys all the other gods? Yeah. Is that what you said? Okay. Yeah. I guess. I mean, it's it's reality is certainly more believable to me than any of the gods that have been proposed. But you know, Tracy and I believe in reality, <laughs> but we're not going to talk about reality and call it God because that's not a useful term for us to use when we talk about it. I, I don't expect you to. And people who I believe in God aren't going to accept that definition either, like Tracy was saying. So I, I think there will be a bunch. I will. Maybe. I mean, as a transition. Like Tracy said, she was a theist, then she was a pantheist, then she was an atheist because she stopped considering the concept of God to be useful. Right. This is a shortcut. So, yeah, it could. I guess it could be a useful transition for some people. Sure. Okay. All righty. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for your call, Mark. You're our right. last call of the night. Thank you so much. Okay. Um, I did have one message here. I don't know if Teddy would still be on the line, and I'm sorry that I missed this, but the control room sent me a note and said that there were some people in YouTube that were offering resources for Teddy. So if Teddy is still on the line, again, sorry I didn't see the note till now, 
um, you know, please feel free to visit that chat. It's uh, unfortunately going to close because they, I think, close the comments as soon as the YouTube thing goes up. So. Yeah, you might check the blog because uh, yeah. the show blog, which I haven't created yet, but there'll be a there'll be a thread. I did. Oh, thank you. It's up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So yeah, t Teddy, you might get on the the blog, and some, and if people have some. Helpful Some stuff. helpful stuff, they can put it on the blog. and then Yeah, yeah, please, feel free, because I sort of missed that one. And just to remind people, we are going to dinner at Star of India, and that information is on the bottom of the screen. So um, I think we're pretty close to on time. Yeah. So that's, that's not bad. And I want to thank the crew, thank my co-host, thank, thank the wonderful audience and all the people out in Internet land, cyber <laughs> audience and everyone. So thanks. Thank Big, huge thank you to, to everybody. And see you, I guess, somebody else will see you next week. Yeah. Bye.